Jesus was baptized with a baptism that had to do with sin, repentance, and forgiveness. But it wasn't his sin. He had none. It was ours. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hello again, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom begins a new series titled Jesus' Baptism of Repentance. Friend, when you read through the life of Jesus as written in the Gospels, it becomes very clear that His baptism is a crucial moment in His life and ministry. What was so significant about this moment? What was the life of Christ like before he began his public ministry? And perhaps most importantly, why was it necessary for Jesus himself to be baptized? Well, throughout this series, Tom will examine the life of Jesus before his baptism, as well as the event itself, looking at it all through the eyes of the four gospel writers. You'll discover the reasons behind this event in the life of Jesus, how it relates to his followers, and how it reveals that he is the one and only Savior of the world. Well, Tom, as a preview of what's to come, there is indeed a connection between baptism and repentance, isn't there? You know, Bill, that's exactly right. Certainly that's true with believers' baptism. In the book of Acts and throughout the New Testament, when a person repents and believes in Christ, then they were to be baptized into Christ and confessing his name. In the same way, the baptism of John the Baptist was a baptism connected to repentance. It wasn't believer's baptism. As we're going to learn, it was something else. And that's why it's even more extraordinary that our Lord Jesus Christ came to John and wanted to be baptized by him. You're going to be shocked at the significance of the baptism of Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks, Tom. And friend, let's join our teacher now on The Word Unleashed. Jesus' baptism is obviously very important. It is referred to and mentioned in all four of the Gospels. It's part of the criteria in Acts chapter 1 for those who would be Judas's replacement. They have to have been with Jesus from his baptism. Mark here in verses 9 through 11 records this monumental event in the life of Christ, and he does so in two parts. In verse 9, we're exposed to the human part of it, and that is the baptism of Jesus by John. And then in verses 10 through 11, we're exposed to the divine part, and that is the testimony to Jesus by God. So let's examine both of these these important parts of the baptism of our Lord as it's recorded here in Mark's Gospel. First of all, let's consider the baptism of Jesus by John in verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now, those days obviously refers back to what we just read a moment ago in the previous verses, beginning in verse 5. It's when all of Judea and all of Jerusalem was streaming out to John to be baptized. It was the height of John's popularity, the height of his ministry. In fact, Luke puts it this way in Luke 3.21, when all the people were baptized, Jesus also was baptized. 
Verse 9 here says, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, the reason that's important is because it marks a, a change in the life of our Lord. All that has preceded this event are 30 silent years. 30 silent years when Jesus lived in a small backwater town of about 500 people. It's where he'd lived his entire life from a young age. And you'll remember that for more than 10 years prior to this event, maybe 10 to 15 years, sometime after the the appearance at the temple when he was 12, his father Joseph had died, and so Jesus became responsible as the oldest Jewish male for the rest of the family. He had led the family, he had run the family business, working as a carpenter. That's why in the Gospels he's called the carpenter. It was in those days, as John was at the very height of his ministry, in those days when Jesus had lived in silent obscurity for 30 years, that he came from Nazareth in Galilee, verse 9 says, and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now, if you have been connected to the Christian faith any time at all, you read that, and I'm afraid you miss the importance of it entirely. Most people have no idea why Jesus was baptized or what this baptism was about. So we need to look at the context. The background, the very important background for Jesus' baptism occurs back in verse 4. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness. Now we learn from Luke's gospel that John was the only child of an elderly couple, a priest named Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth. Elizabeth was a relative of Mary, Jesus' mother. John was, we learn in Luke 1, six months older than Christ. He was conceived six months before Jesus was. We learn from Luke's gospel that Jesus began his ministry about the age of 30. That means, of course, John began his ministry about the age of 30 as well. I'm not going to take you through all the argumentation. There are two views of when Christ died in the timeline of his life. One is that he died in 30 A.D., the other that he died in 33 A.D., and I'm not going to sort of build all that. I do believe that it was in the year 30 A.D. Now, if that's true, then Jesus began his ministry in the year 26 A.D., and John probably did in the spring of 26 A.D. He appeared in the wilderness, we're told here. Matthew tells us it was the wilderness of Judea. If you've visited Israel, you know what this is like. It's the rugged land that is west of the Jordan and the Dead Sea, extending up toward Jerusalem. It is a barren, rugged, dry land without trees. It was in that kind of land down near the Jordan River where John was baptizing. Verse 4 goes on to say, He appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, there's a lot in the last part of verse 4. First of all, we see his method was preaching. The Greek word is caruso. It means to proclaim as a herald. In other words, John's ministry was exactly the same as Jesus' ministry. Jesus came preaching. And what was he preaching? He was preaching an inward requirement notice of repentance. In fact, in Matthew's gospel, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, it says, John came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, repent. 
for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of the Messiah is almost here. Repent, turn from your sins. He was preaching then was about the need for repentance. The Greek word for repentance describes a change of mind and heart, but listen carefully, a change of mind and heart that is so radical that it leads to a change in life. In fact, if you doubt that, read Luke chapter 3, for example, verses 10 through 14, where John the Baptist says, look, if you're repentant, let me tell you what that looks like in life. And he demands a series of changes in the lives of those who came to be baptized by him. So this isn't talk. Real repentance is a willingness to make real changes. This is what he preached. Now, the outward sign of that repentance, you'll notice in verse 4, was a baptism of repentance. A baptism of repentance. The word baptism is simply a Greek word that means immersion, to submerge in water, to plunge into water. Now, the concept of submerging in water was not new to first century Judaism. In fact, they did it often. The Jews require numerous ritual washings. Again, if you were to visit Israel, you would find that they've discovered hundreds of mikvahs, that is, ritual immersion baths near the temple, so that as you went up to worship in the temple, you would immerse yourself in these, these pools, some of them small and private, one person at a time, others of them large and, and encompassing many people, and you would have submerged yourself to ritually cleanse yourself before you went to worship. Now, that happened often, but what John was doing only happened once. So the background for John's baptism was not these ritual washings. Instead, the background for John's baptism was proselyte baptism. If you were a Gentile in the first century and you wanted to become a true proselyte to Judaism with full standing as a member of the Jewish community, you had to do three things. First of all, you had to do what was called korban. That is, you had to make a sacrifice, a burnt offering to God. Secondly, you had to do what was called malah. If you were a man, that was circumcision. And then thirdly, tevhlah, which was baptism. Baptism was essential, male or female, and it was really the, the sort of crowning act by which you became a member of the Jewish nation as a proselyte. Now, first century sources describe what was involved in this. There were three witnesses of your baptism. Ordinarily, they were members of the Sanhedrin. A person who was going to be baptized cut his nails and his hair and undressed completely, made the confession of his faith in the God of Israel, and then immersed his body completely in the water so that every body part was touched by or beneath the water. Women were, of course, attended by women, but the rabbis, this was so serious that the rabbis would stay just outside the door where they could hear the confession, they could hear the water to make sure that this person was genuine and serious about this commitment. Now, as a person who wanted to become a Jewish proselyte stopped, stepped out of the waters of, of the baptism, in the language of the rabbis, he was, quote, a child of one day. End quote. This wasn't spiritual renewal. Instead, it was, it was as if you were beginning your life again. And now, not as a pagan who embraced the idols of the nations around, but as one who had come to believe in the true God of Israel. 
It was into the background of that proselyte baptism that John came. John's baptism was a proselyte baptism not for Gentiles, but for Jews. It was a baptism of repentance. John was in effect saying this, the Messiah's coming, I'm here to announce him, he's soon to be with us. You need to prepare for his kingdom, but even though you are Jewish, you are just as far from God as the Gentiles. You're not prepared at all for Messiah's coming. The only way for you to prepare is to renounce your sin and to acknowledge how desperately far you are from God, and you need to go through what's really proselyte baptism. You need to essentially act like you're not a Jew and say, I'm no better than a Gentile. I want to prepare. The Jews did it to show that a Gentile was repudiating his old life and becoming attached to Israel's God. John did the same thing, but to Jews, because they needed it just as desperately to prepare for the coming of the Messiah whom he was announcing. It had to be accompanied by genuine repentance. In fact, he only baptized those who were already repentant. But as they were baptized, notice what it says they were doing. They were confessing their sins. The spiritual result of this, notice verse 4, was the forgiveness of sins. Now, don't misunderstand. It wasn't that the act of baptism accomplished forgiveness. As D. Edmund Hebert writes, the physical rite itself did not produce the spiritual result. But submission to the baptism as the outward testimony of personal repentance was the condition for receiving the divine forgiveness. Ultimately, the divine forgiveness was predicated on true heart repentance, and that repentance was evidenced by the public act of proselyte baptism saying, I am desperately in need of forgiveness. I'm as far from God as the Gentiles. I want to prepare for Messiah's coming. Now, folks, that is the context for Jesus' baptism. Go down to verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Jesus came to John to be baptized with a proselyte baptism, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, stay with me. Don't think I'm a heretic here. This is what the text says. We're going we're gonna to get there. But I want you to get the point. This is the baptism that Jesus came to be baptized with. Now, before John actually baptizes Jesus, as it's described here in verse 9, there was an important interchange that took place. Go back to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, and there Matthew tells us what happened. Verse 13, then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? So before the baptism, Jesus shows up, and John says, no, I'm not going to baptize you. Now, why would John refuse to baptize Jesus? Understand that John already knew Jesus. He was his cousin. 
And, and yet he didn't know him to be the Messiah, according to John 1.33, until he was baptized. John 1.33 says, I did not recognize him, that is, as Messiah, but he who sent me to baptize in water, that is, God, said to me, he upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. So there are two possibilities here as to why John refused to baptize Jesus. One of them was that he still didn't know Jesus was the Messiah before the baptism. He didn't know until after Jesus was baptized and the Spirit came down upon him, in which case he's still refusing him. Why? He says, I need to be baptized by you. So if this is true, then what John is saying is this. Listen, I know you. You're my cousin, and I know you to be a far holier man than I am. That's one possibility. The other, and many commentators would say that at some point there in that whole interchange, even before the baptism, God made it obvious to John that Jesus, his cousin, was in fact the Messiah, and therefore he refused and said, no, I shouldn't be baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. Regardless, I want you to notice verse 15. But Jesus answering said to him, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. So John baptized Jesus. We're going to come back to Jesus' answer in just a few minutes. But go back to Mark chapter 1 and verse 9, and again, look at how Mark puts it. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. In those simple, straightforward words, Mark describes one of the most important events in Jesus' life. Jesus was baptized. He was immersed. He was plunged into the Jordan River in John's baptism of repentance, proselyte baptism for Jews to prepare for the coming of Messiah. That's the baptism of Jesus by John. Now that brings us to the second part of this passage in verses 10 and 11, the testimony to Jesus by God. We've seen the human side, the actual event. Now we see God's testimony to what's happening here. Verse 10, immediately coming up out of the water, that reinforces the idea that both Jesus and John had been in the Jordan and that John had plunged Jesus beneath the water. And Luke tells us that as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he was praying. And as he was praying, three dramatic things occurred. The heavens opened above him, the Spirit of God descended onto him, and the voice of God spoke to him. Now, the reason those things are important is because in Jewish thinking, all three of those would be true of the Messiah. There's a document written 200 years before Christ called the Testament of Levi. It's not a biblical document at all. But listen to the, the Jewish expectation. The heavens will be opened, and from the temple of glory, sanctification will come upon him with a fatherly voice as from Abraham to Isaac. And the glory of the Most High shall burst forth upon him, and the spirit of understanding and sanctification shall rest upon him. My point in reading that is saying that was what was in the Jewish mind and thinking when they thought about Messiah coming. So in light of that, let's look then at these three signs. First of all, we're told that the heavens opened above him. 
Verse 10, he saw the heavens opening. He is Jesus. Matthew tells us John also saw. And since Jesus was baptized when everybody else was being baptized, then there were probably others who witnessed this as well. The Greek word that's translated opening is the word from which we get our English word schism. It means to divide or to tear. Jesus and John and probably the others who were there saw the heavens torn open. Mark uses this word in two places. Here at Jesus' baptism for the skies being torn open and the other places in chapter 15 at Jesus' death when the veil in the temple is torn. Both of them supernatural events designed to serve as supernatural testimony to Jesus as the Son of God. In one case, God tore the heavens. In another case, He tore the veil before the Holy of Holies. The heavens opened above Him. The second significant sign that occurred is the Spirit descended into Him. The Spirit descended into Him. Notice what Mark says in verse 10. Immediately coming up out of the water, Jesus saw the heavens opening and the Spirit like a dove descending upon Him. Now, there's something strange about that. Notice He saw the Spirit. Now, a Spirit, by definition, is invisible, right? I mean, you don't see a Spirit. It's a Spirit. In John chapter 3, Jesus says the Spirit is like the wind. You don't see the Spirit. You simply see the effects, the results of the Spirit's presence. So the Spirit was invisible, and yet here He saw the Spirit. The Spirit could have descended on Jesus without being seen. The same thing could have happened with no visible indication whatsoever. But all three synoptics make a point of telling us that the Spirit manifested Himself in a visible form. The accounts say he descended as or like a dove. Now, there are two possibilities for what that means. One of them is he descended like a dove in manner. That is, he hovered over Jesus, like that picture of the Spirit in Genesis 1 hovering over the waters in creation. That's one possibility. I don't think that's the correct one, though. The other one is that he was like a dove in shape or form. In other words, the Holy Spirit took on the appearance of a dove. I, I think that is to be preferred because of how Luke describes it in Luke 3.22. The Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. In other words, the Holy Spirit descended from heaven in a visual image resembling a dove. Now, obviously... He appeared visibly for everybody else to understand certain things. The question is why? Why did the Spirit appear on this occasion? First of all, He appeared to testify to who Jesus was. We know that because remember John was told, you'll know it's the Messiah when you see the Spirit descending on Him like a dove, John 1. So it, the Spirit's descent identified Jesus for who He really was. He was the Messiah, the Son of God. Secondly, the Spirit appeared to empower Jesus for ministry. Mark literally says the Spirit descended into Him. John 1 describes it as remaining on Him. The Holy Spirit lighted on Him, remained on Him, 
and rested on him. Why? Well, in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God rested on men to give them power for their assigned roles. Mostly, it was for kings, for priests, and prophets. Well, you'll remember that the Messiah was to fulfill all three of those roles. He was to be a king, a priest, and a prophet. And so the Spirit prophesied in the Old Testament that He, the Spirit of God, would rest on the Messiah in a unique way. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part one of his series, Jesus' Baptism of Repentance. Tom will have part two for you on our next program, and we hope you'll join us then. Well, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals just like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.